0: Scientology does not hold that children are just children. That ten-year-old boy is a seventy-six-year-old being in a ten-year-old body. They don't view children as someone that needs to be treated um, carefully or protected or shielded. They're just like you're just you just happen to have a small body. But eleven years ago, you were an adult. So just snap out of it. Stop dramatizing being a small person and just grow up. If adults and
1: children are viewed as the same way does that not lead to
0: if you're already twisted in that way Scientology gives you the perfect justification
2: Good morning everyone um or afternoon I just happen to be recording this in the morning there is nothing to prevent you from listening to this in the evening or afternoon Uh, as you please. Today, I've got an episode with my friend Aaron Smith-Levin, who is a former Scientologist. I've done quite a lot on that recently, been getting really into it. And it occurred to me after quite some time of interviewing him and discussing all the latest news, whether it be the Danny Masterson from that 70s show uh, trial, or it be stuff about Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes or whatever it might be. ...that I hadn't actually found out much about Aaron's own life. And his own YouTube channel is called Growing Up in Scientology. And I didn't really think about what that meant, but obviously he grew up in it. He didn't join it. And I thought, isn't that a weird uh, thing? Quite a unique, relatively unique, anyway. There's only about 30,000 Scientologists left worldwide. It's a relatively unique experience. And I thought, you know what, I've got to ask him about it. Now, there are some really emotional parts... Uh, Aaron is very sort of, um, I would say, confident and strong-headed and, uh, you know, but, but there are some really difficult bits, particularly towards the end of the second episode, we talk about what happened to his twin brother. Uh, so I do warn you about that. There'll be some feels, some emotions. It's a difficult story, but it's a fascinating one nonetheless. This is the first part. I'll bring out the second part just after, so you can listen to both. But this is him, you know, growing up in Scientology, and the second part will be him leaving Scientology. Um, got some big episodes coming up for you. I know I say that every week, but I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't have big episodes coming up. That's the whole. Point. Who've I got? Still, Helen Lewis has been delayed a couple weeks, but that's going to happen. Uh, we've got uh, what we've we got. Shahom is going to be talking about you know Shahom Das, the psychiatrist, forensic, forensic, forensic psychiatrist. Shahom Das uh, talking about Meghan Markle and uh, uh, that Tate fella. What's his name? Andrew, isn't it? Andrew Tate. What a nutter! Uh, <laughs> he's been arrested in Romania and all that stuff. Um, Reckless Ben. He's a guy who's coming on. He does mad things where he exposes all sorts of wrongdoings. Uh, Teddy Rose and Mooney. It just, the list goes on, you know. But now, now, you're on the edge of growing up in Scientology. Do check out his channel, by the way, with Aaron Smith Levin.
1: Oh, right. Everyone, it's a special guest, Aaron Smith-Levin, one of my favourite people. He's been on the podcast loads of times, of course. But one thing I came to realise, I was so distracted by just, you know, the big videos and how well they all did and just learning about Scientology that I never stopped to think what Aaron's channel actually meant because it's called Growing Up in Scientology. And that means that he grew up in Scientology. So firstly, do go check out his YouTube channel. Absolutely, you will not get a better insight into Scientology than obviously growing up in Scientology. Erin, what was it like growing up in Scientology? It was a little unusual, I would say. <laughs> yeah, I bet, I bet. Tell us a little bit about, uh, I mean, so you were just like a baby, you were a baby Scientologist.
0: So I was four years old when my mom got introduced to Scientology. So it was my mom raising me and my twin brother. And she had grown up in Iowa, gone to school in Iowa, everything like that. And, um, and then when she was having us, like she and my father were never married. That's why I have the two last names, Smith Levin. So my mom's name is Smith. My dad's name is Levin. And they were never married. Um, and so uh, by the time I was born, so my mom raised us as a single mother until she got remarried later on, okay? So she moved from Iowa out to the East Coast out to the uh, New Jersey, Philadelphia, Boston, Massachusetts area, the Northeast. And somehow she met a friend named Cheryl Scordato who got her introduced to Scientology. And so my earliest memories, some of my earliest memories are of being in a Scientology organization in downtown Philadelphia in a nursery that they had there for kids of the staff members and kids of the public. And because my mom, as soon as she got introduced to Scientology, she pretty much jumped right away and joined staff to work for them. She wasn't one of these people who just paid them a bunch of money to do Scientology. She was one of the staff members. So, you know, when you're four, you don't really know anything. So it's not like you can pick up a Scientology book and start reading L. Ron Hubbard. (laughs) So for these early years, Scientology for me was just something my mom did. And it was just where we went to go play with the other kids Wow! and so your and your dad where where was he at this stage so uh minnesota like my dad grew up in like washington i think like uh uh, washington state and i think my mom met him he was a musician and um so like i was actually born in montana but my mom was living in iowa i think my dad was living in minnesota and then I was just born, I think my mom was like on vacation or whatever, and ha- ha- gave birth. <laughs> so I'm born in Montana. I was born in Montana, but neither of my parents were living in Montana, uh, to the best of my knowledge at that time.
1: <laughs> There's a lot of moving around here. And that's something that I found really common with Scientology itself. Of course, L. Ron Hubbard was moving around in this boat. I mean, we're talking years before, I think. Um, and, and just every Scientologist I've spoken to seems to have moved from place to place. Do you think that was something somehow related to your mom's decision to join Scientology? Was she she searching for something?
0: Oh, yeah. I'd say there's probably some overlap there as far as always looking for something new, better, or the answers or something like that. Um, Because it's true. Scientologists tend to be a little nomadic. (laughs) And um, and, and even when I say, like people ask me, where did you grow up? Well, it's hard to answer that question. I mean, uh, I say Philly, but when I think about it, like I was only in the suburbs of Philly and Malvern, Pennsylvania from fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade. But those were formative years. And it's like, well, it feels like that's where I grew up before that. It would have been South Jersey and Haddonfield, New Jersey, but that was like kindergarten, first grade second grade third grade so i just say philly because it's like you know because then i spent a lot of years working in downtown philadelphia for scientology so i just go i grew up in philly but i didn't really grow up in philly it's sort of very nomadic as you say
1: and then so as a young person as a young child of course were you at like a
0: school that like would it be a normal school so I did go to normal public school from kindergarten through sixth grade. So these, these younger years of my memories, this, this, it was just in a nursery, which is just a room in a Scientology org where they stuck the kids. And that was just to keep the kids from wreaking havoc, you know, in, in other places of the org. So it wasn't a school. There was nothing educational about the nursery at the Scientology org. It was really just stick the kids there so they can't bother anyone else and make, and make noise. And we did, we did wreak havoc anyway, um, (laughs) right in downtown (laughs) Philly. We'd escape from the org and just run around downtown, you know, (laughs) so sometimes, you know, that would be during the day if it was like the weekend or whatever, but it would also be late at night. You know, we'd be in the nursery at the org until 10 o'clock at night, because that's, those were the hours of the org. And my mom was a staff member at the org. So we'd fall asleep at the org most nights. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's a little weird thinking of having children out at your place of work until ten o'clock at night, and that doesn't mean ten o'clock at night is when you left the org. That's just when um, the course room officially wrapped up. That's just when people started winding down. You know, we might not leave the org until eleven o'clock.
1: For some people, I mean, most people listening now are probably very familiar with Scientology. But for those who are hearing about this for, this for the first time, what what is the org? Because this was initially the Sea Orga boat, right?
0: Oh right, so the org. Well, so um, Scientology calls its churches of Scientology orgs. So org just stands for organization, and and, and I guess not to be confused with the C org. So the C org is the C organization, and yeah, that's another that's another thing. So the C organization composes like Scientology management. Uh, uh, the C organization, you would call it a religious. Order or religious fellowship, at least the law would consider it that. Uh, Okay, the C organization of the Scientologists who have pledged um, to work for Scientology for the rest of their lives, and they sign the one billion year contracts. So those are C-Org members. So that's considered the most dedicated core of Scientology staff. Um, And so what I'm talking about is completely separate from that. The the Philadelphia Org is not a C-Org org. org. So it's not an org staffed by C-Org members. Um, It's staffed by uh, people who are on two and a half year contracts or five year contracts. And then once you finish that contract, you're, 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 you're you're done. You're fine. You don't owe Scientology any money. <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> what kind of things was your mom doing then day to day into the evening while you were um, at this sort of crash, I suppose?
0: I think it was two different things. At, at one point, she was uh, running the academy, which is where all the, the Scientology courses are delivered. It's where Scientology auditors are trained. And then at a later point in time, she had a job of like... F- um, helping to correct the uh, Scientology auditors for any mistakes that they make in an auditing session. Uh, Both of those jobs require uh, in in Scientology world a significant amount of training. Um, And even for some of those periods, she she left uh, the family uh, in Jersey to go down to Clearwater, Florida full-time for either six months or 12 months, it's hard to remember. Um, And so even at that young age, you know, my mom was gone for long periods of time just to do training on how to do her Scientology job in Philadelphia. Did you feel
1: love from your mom in, in, in a sort of, uh, well, yeah, did you feel love?
0: Yeah, yeah. This is probably in contrast to a lot of other stories that I hear from people who are raised in Scientology. I, my mom never, particularly at that younger age, uh, never treated us like we were just cogs in the machine or that we were only there to hopefully serve scientology or that our value was somehow tied to what we did in scientology that was never that was never an issue now we were already only 12 years old when we ourselves did join staff but even then she was always um probably uh, a force for more protecting us to the degree that she could from just being a cog in the machine and actually caring for our well-being. So, but I hear a much different story from other people who grew up in Scientology, uh, even people who grew up in Scientology with parents that were just public, as opposed to staff members. Like I've heard stories of people who grew up in Scientology, their parents were just public, and their parents still treated them like the only reason they were there as as beings was to serve Scientology. We never particularly had that put up pushed upon
1: us must have, must screw people up i remember mike rinder talking about it just with his own child who unfortunately died um I th- as a baby i think uh and just he was obviously sad but he also had this feeling of like okay well it's just this sort of body thetan uh that can go into another body and it's not like a real thing i guess the religion was like that, that strong in him at that at that point so it is
0: really sad well i would say i mean we had a bit of an unstable childhood in general probably just due to You know personal factors in my mom's life but i would say not specifically due to scientology you know like it's not easy being a a kid that young and and having like a revolving door of boyfriends or husbands you know like um i just remember it, it, it it had an impact on me i mean there's an instability to it um you know my mom did remarry at one point um and have a i have a half brother from that marriage um But and after that, she even remarried again, and and then again, and then, um, and then in between the marriages, there were boyfriends. And that's not even a, a criticism on someone's personal life, I'm just talking about from my perspective as a young person, there was a lot of instability. And you combine that, what I just described, also with moving from place to place relatively frequently, um, that yeah. I don't necessarily look on back on my childhood very fondly. Um, and that might just be cause you know, memory can also be very selective. Um, but it wasn't due specifically to being treated like, um, like I was just there to be a cog in the wheel. And, and it wasn't due to feeling a lack of love from my mom either. That wasn't an
1: issue. I wonder then if that also crosses over if we talk about your your mom uh, in that sort of pursuit of something, a pursuit of recognition or whatever it might be. And you find it in other boyfriends and things like that. What What was your mother like is she still with us oh yeah yeah yeah. i mean i'm only 42 she's 62. <laughs> yeah well i know i am not suggesting you're
0: old but you never you never know when people no you know. that's true that's true that's true yeah i know no, she's around <laughs> and she actually still more believes in scientology i mean she was declared uh, she's not in scientology anymore but she still believes in l ron hubbard and scientology and uh you know that it works and that um auditing you know solves problems and whatever and and it's become a source of friction not that i give her friction for it she actually gives me friction for thinking it's all trash and i'm like what are you going to do with that i don't give you (laughs) for doing it don't give me shit for shitting on it
1: you know yeah yeah do you have do you have a good relationship though otherwise now I would say it's strained for sure. That's quite standard. That happens with parents. <laughs> that happens with pa- parents and children as well sometimes anyway. So so that was going on with your childhood and and they do say that instability is is one of the hardest things in childhood. It's like, you know, growing up rich or poor, religious or not is one thing, but the instability is difficult. Are there ways in which that affects who you are today that sort of hang-ups and hangovers? <laughs>
0: Um, I think any negative hangups or hangovers that I have now are more from, uh, ha- uh, everything that happened after I started working for Scientology when I was 12 and not so much things that happened before that, actually.
1: Okay. Well, let's get into that then. So what, what was <laughs> the next stage? Cause working when you're 12, unless you're Macaulay Culkin in, um, uh, home alone or something apart from actors and models, that's sort of unheard of. So, I mean, that, how do they get around that?
0: I mean, they get around it cause nobody knows it's happening really. Um, Uh, You know, Scientology staff members are considered religious volunteers. They're not actually considered, um, in the eyes of the law, employees, even though they're on staff contracts, but it's really a contract defining the terms of your volunteer status. Um, Believe me, Scientology doesn't consider you a volunteer. They just hide behind that when it comes to the law. Um, So wait, what was the question? (laughs) Well, no,
1: we're just going through it. So what are you a 12 year old? Yeah. Were you excited to start working?
0: I was excited because my mom made us excited. Like this is this is one of the sources of friction where it really rubs you the wrong way that I would ever describe anything about um, this path that we traveled into becoming Scientology staff members as anything other than our own decision, something we wanted to do, we decided to do. And you go, we're kids. We do what you tell us to do we try to be as excited about it as possible, you know, that's kind of what kids, you know, even if you, you make a kid do something they don't want to do, eventually they're going to figure out how to have at least as much fun as possible doing the thing they didn't want to do in the first place. That's how kids work. Um, and and so like, even the fact that I'm going to be like, we didn't want to do it. And she'd be like, well, it was your decision. It's like, we didn't even, how can you make a decision about something you don't even know what it is? Like, you don't know the decision and, and then you're being guided that way by your parents, by your parents. And it's like, uh, so we didn't, we got excited about it because we had to and chose to, and were expected to. And it's, it's not like we were dragged kicking and screaming through this entire process. We, we eventually uh, were convinced to do it, um, decided we wanted to do it, uh, got good at doing it and succeeded in doing it. But when that, when that whole thing starts at the age of 12, you know, Uh, the fact that my mom's always sort of even been unwilling to acknowledge that um, you're, you're right. That wasn't really something of your own choosing. I pushed you along that way. She, she just hangs on to the fact of, oh, but you didn't put up that much of a fight. And it's like, oh, come on. You know, like, honestly, like, like she, uh, she does not like the episode that I filmed of Leah Remini Scientology in the aftermath. You know, her response to that was sort of like, oh, you must hate me. And I'm like, the fuck are you talking about? Like, I can't talk about my own life without you making it about you. How about you understand where I'm coming from and show a little bit of, you know, humility, um, and and perspective that it's not all about you. It's actually about your kids, which um. Yeah. Anyway, I don't want to go into tangent.
1: Yeah. Well, Aaron, you'll be delighted to know we've actually got your mum in the studio to, <laughs> to have this conversation, Jerry. Jerry. No. Um. I wouldn't usually make that joke about these kinds of things, except I know Aaron quite well now. So no. I'm, I mean,
0: I'm I, mean I mean, look, the, I'm, I'm I love the humor, and, and but like uh, there there are secret little groups tucked away in corners of the internet for second generation Scientologists, and this is a very Common theme where the first generation parents who brought their second generation, um, you know, their kids into it are just um, completely unwilling to acknowledge the effect that bringing kids into something like this and pushing them to do it and expecting them to do it and putting up the guardrails so that they can't really not do it, uh, gives them a significantly different experience than the adults. Who chose to do all this on their own determinism, and the unwillingness to to, to even recognize that there's two different experiences here uh, leads to a lot of tension in a lot of former Scientology families. So it's it's not unique. It's not unique to me at all, and and it seems to be pretty damn consistent. You know, pretty damn consistent.
1: I, I can actually, I can imagine that. I can I can see that. Um, So at 12 years old, what kind of work are you and your twin brother doing?
0: So at this point, it's just studying. It's just studying. So when we joined staff at the Philadelphia Org, it was with a view of going full-time To Clearwater, Florida, to train as professional Scientology auditors. Um, But you can't go to Florida to do that training until you've already done a bunch of basic training at your own organization. So there was a handful of Scientology courses to the Scientologists watching, you know, staff status one and two, student hat, method one, co audit, and, you know, other basic courses. (laughs) Um, And, you know, those courses themselves would take not less than six months of part time study because we weren't, we were studying, um, so remember, I said I went to public school until the sixth grade. So for the seventh grade, and at this time, my mom had remarried. So I had me, my twin brother, my younger brother, my stepbrother, my stepsister, uh, except my younger brother didn't live with us full time. He lived with his father half, most of the time. So we basically had four kids in the household and two parents, Okay, um, my mom and my stepdad. And so what we did for the seventh grade is we were pulled out of school to do homeschool. And we would do homeschool during the morning and and the afternoon. And then we would go into the org uh, five nights a week and the weekends. So as a 12-year-old, or maybe at this point, maybe I'd already turned 13. We are going into the Scientology org in downtown Philadelphia to study from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. That's our study schedule. I mean, you're studying until 10 o'clock at night. I have three kids of my own. I couldn't imagine. I'm, I'm telling them to go to bed by ten. <laughs> I mean, we're just we're just getting off of course at ten. We still have to wrap up and you know drive a half hour home and everything like that. And that's pretty much from what I can recall. I think seven days a week, maybe six, maybe six days a week. So just to get just to get that right, that was
1: what's so a homeschool, and then at seven p and after that at seven p.m. to ten p.m. Did you say? Correct. Yeah, yeah it's Correct. Mad.
0: And it's one of these things where, as a kid, I can remember being like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be doing this, but it's not like we're working in the coal mines. We're just sitting here studying uh, books. in a course, like it's not, it's not exactly heavy labor. And, and you're you're like, I don't understand half of what I'm studying. I mean, this stuff is absurdly, this is adults have, have adults struggle to understand some of this material. We're 12, maybe 13 at this point. And, and we have to do it. Because this is what we have to do in order to go to Clearwater to flag, and again, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to exaggerate anything. It's not like oh my, I can think of much worse things, but a lot of things get justified with that explanation. Oh, there's worse things. Well, there's always worse things. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, in some parts of Scientology, there aren't many worse things in the, in the deepest parts, you know, in the hole and things like that. But, uh, we can get further into the mechanics of Scientology later, later on, but I mean, some of yeah, it really so, so the ans-
0: Yeah. So the answer was, we're just studying at this point, studying Scientology, yeah. studying Scientology and doing Scientology courses so that we can qualify to go to Clearwater to study more Scientology courses. And, um, uh, and we did okay you know, we did okay on it. It took us a while, but not, not a long time. And then eventually I was 13 when we finished those courses and were approved to go to Clearwater to study full-time, which is what I then did for the next three years straight. What about maths,
1: French (laughs) biology stuff? Do do you, do most people who grow up in Scientology
0: then lack some of that stuff? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I mean, I didn't go to high school. I I mean, like, yeah, I, I never, we did homeschool for the seventh grade we technically speaking were certified as having finished the seventh grade and that was it how old's is that seventh grade and so i um seven eight nine ten twelve twelve years old 13 years old depending on when you started I school i started school a little early um so for me it would have been 12 uh, late 12 okay. early 13
1: so you don't know what oxbow lake is What's Oxbow Lake? <laughs> that was like this stupid thing that I always remember from like my geography GCSE, I did a 16-year-old exam when I was 16 or whatever. Uh, and I was like, it was the one thing that I remembered on the tests was what an Oxbow Lake is. And it was like, it's when a river, <laughs> this is for everyone's gonna be fascinated to know this, has a bend in it. And eventually the bend gets so big that the river just goes over it. So it goes straight. And then it, then the bit that was the bend gets cut off. And then it's an oxbow lake.
0: That's funny. No, the only lakes that I remember is Okeechobee and Titicaca.
1: Yeah, well, well those, are, those are those are great names. Those are the names you learn at 12, though. But no, that I mean, it's a thing, isn't it? And I spoke to some former Scientologists about it, and they really feel like they were let down, like they didn't get that. And on the one hand, I would say, as somebody who did then go through the typical education, you do forget 99% of it. So, you know, but I'm sure there's stuff that you must you must feel... Do you feel a bit resentful about having missed out on that?
0: Um, the only reason I don't is because I've been quite successful. Um, but like, I wish I'd had an opportunity to study like political science uh, or computer science or, um, or history more because I find those things fascinating and it's hard to just casually spend hours and hours and hours learning about that stuff because you're supposed to be able to get an opportunity to do that in school. Um, but you know, it's one of those things. Like you just mentioned, you forget ninety nine percent of the stuff that you've learned. I have not necessarily found that people who have gone through the traditional system and gone to university and all that stuff, I have not personally found that those people are any more prepared or better equipped to succeed in life than I am. So I don't have a ton of regret. I do just wonder. Um, yeah, but you've done well without all that. Just imagine what you could have done with some of that.
1: Well, you know? well, yeah. And, or, or, or you might be a bit of an anomaly. There are loads of us. Look, to do what you and I do, it, it is quite different to school and the stuff you learn there. But you must know some people who grew up in Scientology who maybe haven't done as well, who might have benefited from a more stable and traditional educational system.
0: I would say most of them fall into that category. And when I say I've been successful, I don't mean on YouTube. I, I've been. Successful in business outside of YouTube, um, and so uh, and and sometimes people will ask me, "Well, did Scientology give you any of the tools that helped you do that?" And I sort of go, "How the hell would I know? It's the only path that I traveled." Like it can be very hard for me to be able to differentiate between what are the qualities that are sort of innate, and I would have taken into life no matter what, or what sort of qualities did perhaps I learn from Scientology. I'm more inclined to think that some of the negative personality traits or aspects are more likely to be what i took from Scientology but again, who knows it, it's hard to know you know I, I I do happen to be someone who believes that most of our personality traits and characteristics are genetic. I mean I do believe that um, And so who knows who knows and anyway, I forgot what the question I was asking was oh, oh that just the education you know I am sort of a sponge for knowledge like I do feel like I can probably, Um, I am one of these people who would greatly benefit from just, uh, like, have you ever heard of the Khan Academy? It's basically like a free online academy Um, um, from K through 12 and even up to higher education. I believe it's free. Um, uh, I'm someone who I think tries to soak up knowledge about subjects I'm passionate about. Even if it has nothing to do with what I do for a living, I just personally love those things. Whereas, So if I had traveled a more traditional route, I would probably have found a subject that I'm really passionate about and wound up being a professional in that area. Do you know what I mean? Whereas now... Um, I just study those subjects just for fun and not, it's not, you know. That's worked out well for you. And I, I think that's something that like I often have to address on this
1: show. We, we deal with people who have been in, you know, quite horrific or atrocious cults sometimes and all those kinds. Of, but there's often grains of truth even within them. And they're often positives. It's just, they're just outweighed by the negatives in general. Um, and I can see how it could help you in business being, you know, the Scientology, that directly looking in people's eyes, that go get them attitude, that that philosophy of, you know, I can change, I've got the power to sort of do do what I want, that instead of just being another cog in a school, yeah. I'm not suggesting anyone join Scientology, by the way. So what happened?
0: What, <laughs> go on. I'll tell you, though, even, even one of the things you hear about Scientology uh, in the most negative way, as far as everything is your fault, no matter what happens to you, everything is your fault. In a business sense, that's a very productive way of thinking about things. Like if if right, it doesn't matter if it's true. It matters if it puts you in a frame of mind of always trying to fix a problem, find a problem, fix a problem. Uh, you know, never settle for less than uh, you know accomplishing your goal. Um, nothing should be allowed to stop you because anything that stops you, you're the one that's allowing it to stop you. Um, we very quickly get into things that just remind me of uh, Gary Vanderchuck and stuff like that. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well also the, the fixed mindset. I can't remember versus the growth mindset. I can't remember who that is. Uh I just want to quickly look it up because people will be saying that's That's that not someone, that's not
0: Tim Ferris, is it?
1: I don't know. It might be. I thought it was a, a, a female a female philosopher. It might just be something that's known about in philosophy, you know. I don't know. The fixed mindset and the and the growth mindset. And and I don't know, you know, if you're if you're a growth mindset, it might help to be told, hey, everything's your fault, because then you go, okay, what can I do to, to grow? What can I do to be better? Be better all the time, even if it's not true, as you say, even if it's not your fault and your responsibility. If you're in a fixed mindset, I think maybe that's not going to be very helpful to you because you can't, unless you can get out of that fixed mindset.
0: Well, I'll tell you, I think what we're talking about here also goes to explain why so many of the people who get into Scientology get in through Scientology's business consulting front groups, because that Scientology message you can fi- you you are in control of everything you are can be a cause over anything a- a- everything is your fault, and therefore you need to figure out what to do about these things. That resonates with business people who are trying to solve business problems and don't want to be told you can't control this and you can't control that. They want to be told you can control it and here's one or two or three things that you can do about it. It resonates with business people, small small business people who don't have a business background. And that is how the majority of people get into Scientology is through these business consulting groups. So there's something to be said for that. Absolutely, 100%. I had no
1: idea about that. It makes total sense. And you think of like the multi-level marketing companies which are very similar, they employ similar tactics and Nixium, and all these other cults that that use this kind of you can do what you want. Even people, a lot of gurus in the internet age, the Elon Musks and the Jordan Petersons of this world, make your own bed. You know, you you, you are responsible for you. Which is true to an extent, of course, and that's and that's where it falls apart. So let's go further into your, into, so you're, you're now a, a young teenager. What's it like? Do you have non-Scientology friends?
0: Do you have girlfriends and things? So at this point, once you go to Clearwater, uh, so at this point we're in Clearwater, you are in the bubble. You are living and breathing Scientology 24-7, um, 24-7. You're living with Scientologists, you're eating with Scientologists, you're studying with Scientologists, not just Scientologists, Scientology staff members. And at this point, not just staff members, but Sea Org members. And, And compared to the earlier years of my life, as I've described them, I thoroughly enjoyed my time in Clearwater for the three years that I was there from the age of 12 to 15. Now, I would never let my own kids do it, but I thrived in that environment at that time with those people. Um, because remember, Scientology does not hold that children are just children. They hold that a child, like like let's, let's that a thirty-year-old man is a seventy-six-year-old being in a thirty-year-old body, and a ten-year-old boy is a seventy-six-year-old being in a ten-year-old body that eleven years earlier was probably in an eighty-five-year-old body. So they don't actually view children as being unique or special or or not special like special good special bad like like they don't view children as someone that needs to be treated um carefully or protected or shielded. they're just like you're just you just happen to have a small body but 11 years ago you were an adult so just snap out of it stop dramatizing being a small person and just grow up so now i said that harshly but my experience was more like i was being given the freedoms of an adult. I was being treated like an adult. I was being given the responsibilities. I was being treated as an equal is is the best way. I was being treated like I wasn't less than. I wasn't just a tag along. I wasn't just along for the ride. I was an equal participant on the the playing field.
1: Okay. Well, then what I got to ask then, because I think a lot of people just be wondering this, and I got to use ridiculous, stupid language because of the YouTube algorithm. But if adults and children are viewed as the same way does that not lead to uh not romantic but i suppose i can use the word
0: sexual things that shouldn't be happening um it does i never experienced that personally but it very much does because if you're already twisted in that way scientology gives you the perfect justification why it's okay why that's totally fine because thetans are just thetans children like there's a you know, small body who cares and so i am finding more and more and more things i never even knew were going on even in the places where i was That's why i've started to really expose this kind of stuff on my channel well what, what, yeah there is something this
1: week you were you were exposing on your channel
0: what was that well you don't want me to get too <laughs> far into it because um it, it'll it's it's not it's not youtube friendly but i will tell you I'll tell you in PG terms that it was a Scientology staff member who was um, very successful at raising money for Scientology's real estate projects. And so he was sent out to all the other orgs in the Western United States to help them raise money. But in the process of doing that, he was meeting um, female Scientology staff members who were under the age of consent and was abusing many of them in many orgs. One staff member who was in his late 20s abusing other staff members who were 15 or under. And um, this went on for years. And instead of Scientology doing anything to protect those staff members or protect repeat offenses, they just shipped him off to Clearwater. And he's here now. So that's why I've been doing videos about him, um, giving him a starring role in my videos. Um, and Scientology, Scientology, it's like, Do they necessarily think that's okay? No, the guy got in trouble for what he did, but that sort of behavior is excused by many by going, what's, it's just bodies, what's the big deal? And they really believe that they really do believe that and
1: that is twisted i guess if anyone wants to hear further details on that and all the horrible things you know go to Aaron's growing up in scientology channel where he's been reporting on this week i do apologize to those listening on the audio uh streams it's just we it's just the stuff goes out on youtube as well and they have become more and more sensorial and it's just um it's just insane so apologies for us having to to talk as if we are children or whatever about these subjects which are you know very serious uh subjects so so okay, so at this stage you're you're fifteen fifteen or so sixteen. Did you feel special? Did you feel special compared to normies? What do you call normies?
0: One hundred percent. Oh, Scientology calls them wogs. I have come to learn that in many parts of the world, wog is a racial slur, and you have to think you have to think that L. Ron Hubbard knew that. Wow, what yeah. a weirdo! Yeah, wog is a racial slur in many parts of the world, particularly about um. Asians. Even in Britain, wog can be used as a racial slur. I mean, it doesn't have the power as the n-word, it, but it means the same thing. It doesn't have the same punch, if you will. Um, and that is Scientology's word for non-Scientologists. It's used, just it's one of the most common words used. Oh, hey, oh, um, I'll be there at five. got to finish up at my wog job. That means the job that I work outside of the Oregon, it's for a non-Scientologist. If you work for a Scientologist, it's actually not called a wog job.
1: Right, right. So what so, was L. Ron Hubbard. I mean do we know about him being Then, but for anyone who doesn't know this was the creator of Scientology a science fiction writer from the 40s and 50s I suppose. Um, did he come out of a lot of racist stuff? Do we get many people from minorities who are Scientologists?
0: I think L. Ron Hubbard was about as racist as you would expect for the time period personally. And and I say that I say that because I never took any racial undertones from anything I read or listened to in my time in Scientology. But it could be because I wasn't looking for it or, or or it would have gone right over my head. Like there are statements he's made about various tribes and cultures. No, no, no look, he, he says some pretty racist stuff. I think it just kind of went over my head at the time because I feel like he's talking about like, like, for example, he said something about a particular tribe in Africa. Uh, and, and I won't repeat what he said. But in my mind, I'm thinking, well, he's not talking about all black people. He's just talking about that one tribe in Africa. Maybe it's true.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It had to make sense
1: in your mind, because this guy, presumably at this point in your teenage years, what, was he like a deity to you?
0: You know, it's weird, because I, I never looked up to him that way. I almost, I, there was almost a time, uh, one time, in, uh, I can remember one specific time when I was studying at Flag that I almost had to ask myself, what would I say if somebody asked me why we cared so much about what this one guy had to say? And I felt really anxious, because I was like, oh shit, I wouldn't know how to answer that question. I was like, damn, I need an answer. But I remember at the time, not being so much concerned that I didn't have the answer, being more concerned that I needed to be able to give someone the answer. I wasn't concerned. Like this is sort of some cognitive dissonance going on. It didn't personally trouble me that I was like, oh no, why do we care? I I was troubled by the fact of like, oh shoot, if somebody asks me this question, I won't be able to give them an answer. And I need to give them something. And this is around the time that I learned that L. Ron Hubbard had claimed he was the reincarnation of Buddha. Or to be more specific, he was the Maitreya. Um, And he wrote a book called The Hymn of Asia about how he was Buddha, and was reincarnating to finish the work he had started as Buddha and he had to finish that work by creating Scientology and I was like that's a great answer everybody loves Buddha (laughs) (laughs) that's great Oh, so I didn't look up to L. Ron Hubbard as a deity. It's one of these things where it's just as a child, I was set down this path. And on this path, we studied what L. Ron Hubbard wrote. And all the adults in my life seemed to think he was the one that had all the right answers. And that's where we're supposed to go for the answers. So that's what we did. But there was no worship of L. Ron Hubbard. Um, there was nothing in Scientology that said he was a supreme being or a prophet or Scientologists don't even believe in God. In fact, Scientology says that we are essentially all God and that L. Ron Hubbard had made these breakthroughs so that we could all reachieve, uh regain the godlike potential we used to have trillions of years ago. And he figured it out and he created Scientology so that we could all figure it out as well and be like L. Ron Hubbard. We were all trying to be like L. Ron Hubbard. That's probably different than what most people would say about God, right? Where a Christian wouldn't say they're trying to become God, right? They wouldn't. No. Right. Scientologists would say, we are all trying to become, to get back to our godlike status. So that's how I thought of L. Ron Hubbard. But I also thought that we were just on the path to try to be like him. And the fact that he had an opinion on everything from how to, you know, how to feed babies to how to clean windows was just, I never just really gave that stuff much thought. I didn't particularly care.
1: And then, well, yeah, because also you're in your teens and stuff, right? There's other things distracting you presumably, but then I'm also trying to imagine. So where are you? Like, where are you sleeping each night? Are you in a house or, and then, and then do you just go to the cinema of a couple of friends? Do you just go out on a date with a girl and stuff like that? I don't mean to obsess about that. I'm just thinking of typical teenage stuff.
0: Yeah, no, dating was strictly forbidden. In clear in Clearwater at this time in, in the program that I was doing at the time that I was doing it even flirting would get you kicked out potentially dep- yeah um, so we're living in apartments uh, real apartments you know real apartments that a normal person with a real job might rent except except so so I'm thinking in my case it was a three bedroom apartment with a kitchen except in each bedroom is two two sets of bunk beds. So you've got like four people in a room plus two bunk beds in the living room. So you've got like two, four, six, eight, ten, sixteen people in a three bedroom apartment that has two bathrooms and you're only there to sleep and shower. You don't there's no you're not you're not hanging out. So you're Remember, you're studying from nine o'clock in the morning to ten o'clock at night. Except nine o'clock in the morning is when course starts. So you've still got to wake up, shower, exercise, eat breakfast, you know, take a bus to the base. So you're, you're waking up at seven, you're going to bed at midnight on, on a good day. And that's seven days a week.
1: But but you enjoyed this stage, or were you already starting to be like, oh, actually, no? I enjoyed that stage. Because I'm thinking, this is where he's going to talk about, because you said before you got hang-ups from stuff that happened later in Scientology, and so I'm thinking, well, this must be it.
0: No, that's not it. That's not it. And by the way, one of the things that made it enjoyable is um, the particular program that I was doing, there was a thousand, about a thousand other staff members from Scientology orgs all over the world. And about... At least 100, maybe 150 of those were my age. So, and we're talking all over the world. So, you know, I've got dear friends that, you, you know, it's almost like when people go through battle together, you know, you it forges a certain kind of relationship. And, you know, look, studying Scientology courses doesn't really compare to battle. But the culture and the pressure and the stresses that get artificially created on you. Like really, Scientologists think that what they're doing is that the fate of the world rests on their shoulders and the fate of the world depends on what you do here and now in Scientology. And, and that was, uh, you know, that was pounded into us, um, as L. Ron Hubbard say, with an atomic branding iron. And and I took that seriously, that I did take seriously. And um, the, uh, the fact that, what was being instilled in me was that there was a tremendous value a tremendous importance in what we were doing and i really excelled on that training program in particular um i was one again at that young age i ended up being one of the leaders of that training program i was the first one to officially finish it i helped get it like i was very much looked up to by my peers at that time and my peers included people who were adults, doctors, lawyers, you know, professionals, like, I ended up with a very uh, strong self image, if you will. Because, well, I excelled in that program, what can I say? And, and so when I say it was a good experience, it was only a good experience for me. There's plenty of people on that training program who had horrible experiences, it just wasn't mine. And um, so by the time I finished that program, I was, oh, but you said, uh, your original question was like, what was your day like? Were you going out to the movies? So I probably, for the last 12 months of that program, didn't have a single day off. Not one. That, I mean, movies are considered other fish to fry. Now you could ask for, you could every now and then get a day off. And if you had a day off, you're allowed to go to the movies. Um, but the particular program that I was doing, there was so much stress is being put on that program that asking for a day off was just unheard of. Even if you were eligible to ask, um, so yeah, no. But movies weren't completely unheard of. If you know, if you got three or four days off a year, you could go to the movies on that day off. Sometimes, as a reward, if production had been really high, they would actually play a movie on 35 millimeter in the auditorium as as like an award. You know. When did you first? How old were you when you
1: first? dated and were with a woman let's say 18
0: okay it's not that late no there there are many aspects of my child uh, my upbringing that 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 i do go i a little bit thank god i didn't go to high school i sort of got to bypass that awkward stage and that's a stage where a lot of people that i grew up with got into a lot of trouble legal trouble drugs you know um some of them are dead. So, I mean, it's not like I grew up in a rough neighborhood, but even in a relatively middle class neighborhood that I grew up with, a lot of those guys are in a lot of trouble. A lot of those guys aren't around anymore. Um, and I sort of wonder, you know, I didn't have a, a great structure, a great stable household. I was like, I could have easily gone that way if I'd been in high school. So, in some ways, my experience at Flag gave me kind of the structure that perhaps um, I needed to bypass a lot of the potential pitfalls I could have gotten into if I had gone to high school. You know what I mean? You never really know, but that is how I feel about it. I feel the
1: same way I went to like an all boys school and people are always saying "Oh, how do you what you're a teenager what about all that you didn't see all the girls and stuff and I just think thank God for that because I would have been so distracted I'd have been so worried about how I look every day I, I wouldn't have been doing the classes and stuff are you kidding me I'd be like socialising and trying to do all that and trying to get everyone's attention so I look back relieved but then I suppose it's that thing of you only know one thing and you always most people you know people who did go to those mixed schools and things and were able to date at that age probably also. So a lot of them are also happy, but yeah, I see what you're saying. So, so what then happens, what, where's the
0: bit, where's the bad, what, what goes on next? When I talk about the bad personality traits or whatever, I'm talking about being very sort of harsh and uh, quick temper and always expecting something has to be done to be done right away. I mean, things that some people would go, what's wrong with that? And I, okay. In moderation, I have a hard time just yeah. being chill. <laughs> yeah, of course. And so I'm like, Oh, what's the big deal? That's just, you know, masculinity or whatever. I, I don't know. All I'm saying is sometimes it's a problem. All I'm saying is sometimes I go, I wish I just wasn't in a bad mood all the time. I wish I wasn't so demanding all the time. I wish I wasn't so quick to anger sometimes, you know, like it, it's something I'm aware in myself that I go, I, I end up treating, I end up treating, uh, you know, things in life constantly. Like I would have treated them from being on staff and being in the Sea Org where, where, where it does, where it did become. People are a cog in a machine. People are not just people. Um, you have to sort of set their people dumb to the side, their personhood to the side, their humanity to the side. We're not here to deal with your humanity. We're here to get the job done. And I was very good at doing that and approaching things that way and getting other people to approach things that way. I excelled in that department. Um, And I do feel that is a function of pretty much being put on a path, having a job put in front of you, being told how to do it, and excelling at that. And it's hard to step away from that, you know? It becomes so innate, you can't just change your personality.
2: Thank you, Aaron Smith-Levin. That's the end of part one. That is Growing Up in Scientology. Just flip over to part two, Leaving Scientology, uh, to hear the rest of that story. And as I say, I do warn you, it gets into the feels a little bit. Go follow Aaron on uh, Growing Up in Scientology follow me on the Twitter and the Instagram and all those things, you know how it is. I got a, a strike on, on YouTube the other day for, for hate speech because I put up a video which about oh, it's complicated to explain, but it's about Louis Theroux when he got um, sort of attacked by Nazis and the YouTube computer sort of took it as me saying the hate speech things that the Nazis were saying, even though I was speaking about how great Louis did against them. And it occurred to me that At any point, my channel might get taken down. Same could happen with the audio podcast. You never know. Problems can happen. So do follow me on Twitter or Instagram and all those things. Social media, the Patreon, of course, patreon.com slash Gold. That helps hugely if you just sign up there. Uh, It's like giving me a tip, I suppose, at the end of the month, uh, as you would to someone making your drink. Um, And that way if my channels do get taken down at any point you will be the first to be shown the link (laughs) to the new place so you'll know exactly where to come you'll be kept up to date so whether it be the patreon or the twitter or the instagram or the tiktok go follow on those things to give this podcast extra security anyway enough of that get on to part two hope you enjoy it get in touch let me know how you feel how what you think of it and have a lovely day